one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Welcome Earnhardt in. Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. Morning, the podcast, we. Listening America, the Air Force yeah. podcast. Oh, it so is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. People, I hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is having a great day. And we got ourselves a busy all basketball episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast here on a Wednesday. Let me explain what we're going to do today. So, It's been a while since we've gone all college hoops, okay? But it is jarring to me how literally nothing is happening in football. I waited all day on Tuesday. I was like, are we going to get a lead topic for the Wednesday Aaron Torres pot? I thought about talking college football playoff uh, five auto bids, but we've talked about that a million times. Thought about talking Rick Petito going after all his players, but guess what? That's like four days old. And so what I decided to do today was this is that every Tuesday night going forward, we are going to go live on the Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel to react to college hoops, okay? The games of the night, what happened, what you need to know, all that good stuff. And so what we're going to do, today's show is just going to be all Tuesday night college hoops as well as the preview of what's ahead on Wednesday. We're going to talk a busy Tuesday that included the number one UConn Huskies losing. We just talked about, are they beatable? Can anybody beat them? It took all of two days for it to happen as Creighton stuns UConn. We'll discuss that. What does it mean? Is there any concern for UConn as well as what it means for Creighton? From there, we'll kind of go bubble. I think we'll talk a little bubble. Texas A&M loses a stunner to Arkansas. A&M has the weirdest resume in college basketball. A couple other bubble games. We'll take some questions from the live chat. And then we'll wrap by looking ahead to a busy Wednesday in college hoops. Top 25 matchup, Florida at Alabama. We'll discuss that one. And also the Kentucky Wildcats, you cannot lose to the LSU Tigers on Wednesday as well. So this is what we're going to do. Take a quick break, get a word from our partners, which speaking of which, we got ourselves a pretty big announcement coming here over these next couple days. Make sure to stay tuned to that. But we'll take a quick break, word from our partners, and we will react all college hoops, starting with the stunning loss by the UConn Huskies. For the Crane Blue Jays. Welcome in, everybody, to another Tuesday night reaction, late night college hoops here on the Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel. Yes, I am Aaron Torres. And uh, listen, we did this last Tuesday night after Kentucky beat Ole Miss. I think pretty much going forward, we're going to be reacting every Tuesday night, maybe every Wednesday night as well, depending on the games. And oh, by the way, we got a lot to talk about when it comes to March. Obviously, this will run on the Aaron Torres Pod, you t- or the Aaron Torres Pod podcast, excuse me, on Wednesday morning. So everybody, come on in, come on in on Twitter, YouTube, whatever. By the way, leave your questions. We got a lot to get to today. I know I just referenced it if you're listening on podcast, but we are reacting. Number one in the country, UConn falls to Creighton. What does it mean? Is there anything to take away? Does it mean anything? We'll discuss that. Then we'll get to what I think was actually a very interesting night on the bubble. AM loses. What the heck is up with that team? Uh, we will talk about some of the other big games. We'll take some of your questions. So if you have any questions or comments, make sure to drop them there. Producer Matt will uh, be taking your questions and comments. 
And then we'll start to look ahead to a busy Wednesday night, top 25 matchup, Florida and Alabama, Kentucky playing at LSU. Uh, so a lot to get to. Everybody hop on in. Everybody hop on in. And we have a lot, as I just said, to react to. With that said, uh, there obviously is no bigger story to react to than the number one team in the country. UConn Huskies, listen, so it's interesting. So first of all, everybody listening knows, but final score, UConn goes to Creighton. Final score, 85 to 66, Creighton beats UConn. And it's funny because it, even in the lead up to Tuesday night's game, obviously a lot of people listen to Monday's Aaron Torres pod. We reacted to UConn obliterating Marquette uh, on Saturday in Hartford. Final score there was a 28-point margin victory. And on Monday's show, we talked a lot about, is there a way to beat UConn? And if so, what the heck is it? Okay. So that has been the topic of conversation. Even throughout the day on Tuesday, I had people checking in on the pod saying, Torres, talk more about UConn. They are so unbelievable, blah, 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 blah. They go to Creighton and it does not go well. Now, in terms of this game, listen, a couple things stand out. First of all, a uh, weird game. UConn jumped out to like a 7-2 lead. Then, unfortunately, the refs got involved. There were a lot of fouls. UConn had three players uh, pick up two fouls very quickly. Donovan Kling in the starting center, Hassan Diara, uh, the backup point guard, and then, of course, Samson Johnson, the other big guy. So foul trouble was an issue early. Three-point defense was an issue. We're going to get to all of that. But before we get to all of it, let me start by just shouting out Creighton. Listen, Creighton is a really good team that I just think they, they really haven't had this moment where they just kind of get the, the 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 praise heaped on them, right? This is a team, remember, last year made the Elite Eight. Uh, they've been good this year, but inconsistent. As I've said, I, I don't know that they have that signature win all season long. They were not great in the Ottawa Conference. They, uh, you know, they, they, they've been okay in Big East play. They entered the night at 10-5 and five overall, but again, did not have that signature victory. So for them, listen, we'll get to the UConn perspective here momentarily, but all the credit goes to them. They were at home. The crowd was great. For people who maybe are just getting into college hoops, Creighton, Omaha is always a tough place to play. UConn has actually never won there since ever, but since certainly since rejoining the Big East about four or five years ago. And listen, UConn fans are going to talk about the refs. They're going to talk about this. They're going to talk about that. The bottom line is Creighton just came out more fired up than anybody, and they deserve to win this game. Now, with the bigger picture with UConn, I do want to talk about that because as I just said, uh, on Monday's show, we talked a lot about, is there any way to beat UConn? Coming into the game, they were obviously on a 14-game winning streak. They had just beaten Marquette, as I just said. And the thing that really stood out to me, and we talked about it on Monday's show, was if you went through the stats, there aren't a lot of places that UConn can really be exposed, okay? This is a team that's top five on offense in college basketball, uh, top 15 nationally in defense, and even those numbers are a little skewed because Donovan Klingon, their star center, uh, was not playing for a good chunk of the early part of the season. When he is in the lineup, they are a completely different team. Assist-to-turnover ratio is great. Rebounding is great. Three-point shooting is great. And so you look at what happened on Saturday. You said, what is, can UConn be beaten? And it was funny because I actually spent a lot of time on Tuesday afternoon just sitting down and looking at UConn, really doing a deep dive. It's kind of part of a project that I may be working on towards March Madness. We'll discuss that as it gets closer. But I really tried to figure out, okay, what is the actual blueprint of beating UConn? And I really only came up with two things that you have to do as an opponent to beat them. 
The first thing is with UConn, they do not have a ton of depth, okay? Basically, for people who don't follow UConn on a day-to-day basis, they're starting five, all averages, double figures. Uh, Cam Spencer, Tristan Newton, Steph Castle, Donovan Klingon, and Alex Caravan. But they really only play two guys off the bench. Hassan Diar, veteran guard. Samson Johnson, veteran big. And so when I was looking at how do you beat UConn? One, you got to get them in foul trouble because at the end of the day, they don't have a lot of bodies that they really rely on. Um, and so if you can get into their bench, that is a cause for concern with UConn. Um, that's exactly what happened on, on Tuesday night. As I said, two, uh, three, three of those seven players that regularly play all picked up two fouls in the first couple minutes. Uh, yes, UConn fans, some of them were cheap. Donovan Klingon, one of them that he picked up was cheap. Asan DR, one of the, the fouls that he picked up was cheap. No UConn fans, that is not the reason that you lost the game. The second way to beat UConn. You got to make threes. And it's funny because if you want to go and talk about the closest thing to um, a weakness that UConn has, and again, it's all relative. A lot of people would like to have the weaknesses that UConn has. It is three-point defense. They rank about 73rd nationally, I believe, was the number that I saw on Tuesday. That is by no means bad, but relative to everybody else, uh, (laughs) you know, relative to everything else that they do so well, it's it's the weakest link that they have defensively. And so I bring it up because Creighton is a great three-point shooting team, and they were lights the frick out on Tuesday night. Okay, so they finished the game. How about this? From beyond the three-point arc, they finished, let me make sure I have these stats right, at exactly 50, at exactly 50%, excuse me, 5-0, 14 for 28 from beyond the three-point line. And if you just want to know that it was Creighton's night, uh, how about this? Kid by the name of Jason Green off the bench had not made a three all year. He made two for Creighton in this game. And as I said, overall, they hit 14 as a team. Steve Ashworth, who's been struggling for most of the year, finishes making five as well. Now, let's talk big picture for both teams. Big picture for UConn. Listen, I'm not worried. Um, You look at UConn, and, and by the way, I put out that stat about, you know, I put out a tweet, something about, Basically, you know, that that if UConn does have a weakness, this is what it is. UConn fans got mad. Oh, Taurus, they don't have... Uh. It's like, well, I, I'm trying to nitpick here because it's hard to find one. But I think if you're a UConn fan, you got to be positive. This is as tough of an environment as you will play in basically the rest of the year against a team that is essentially as closely built to be able to beat you as there possibly is. Simply put, you're not going to face a team like Creighton that shoots the three ball as well as Creighton did tonight, and you're certainly not going to do it in an environment like what they faced on Tuesday night. Toughest road environment they have left. They still have to play at Providence at Marquette. But listen, those teams don't shoot the ball quite like Creighton does, and I don't expect them to shoot the ball like they did tonight, okay? So that's one. I do think if you're looking for teams to beat UConn, again, the blueprint is there. Got to be able to hit threes. Got to be able to uh, got to be able to hit them in volume. And you need size down low because UConn obviously is so big. But from the UConn perspective, I'm really not worried. You look at the pathway the rest of the way. They are they still have a full two-game lead in the Big East standings. They would need to lose two games to be tied with Marquette, even if Marquette wins out, okay? So they'll probably be the number one seed in the Big East tournament. Um, and obviously, as UConn fans know, the pathway will be there once they get to the NCAA tournament. They'll start in Brooklyn. Regional being in Boston, and as long as they don't fall apart down the stretch, they have a pathway where they don't have to get on a plane 
before they obviously would have to then go to the Final Four and play Arizona. Last thought from the Creighton person. By the way, one last thing on UConn. Uh, my, my buddy Rob Dowster, I saw him say this. Tristan Newton took over this game, 27 points for the veteran guard. And I think that's a great sign if you're a UConn as well. Because at the end of the day, you are going to need, there's going to be a game, whether it's whoever, second round, Big East tournament, NCAA tournament, whatever, Final Four, where, where, where other stuff isn't working. And you need Trist, you need somebody to step up and make plays. Tristan Newton does that 27 points tonight. By the way, I was at the Kansas game where he went off as well. So this isn't the first time. Creighton, really quickly, listen, nothing but positives to say about them. As I said, 20 and seven now, 11 and five in the Big East. Uh, it looks as though they are trending towards probably the three seed in the Big East tournament. Uh, Creighton, to their credit, uh, it, again, they just came out, they came out ready to play. Um, you know, did they hit some shots that maybe they wouldn't normally hit? Sure. It doesn't take away from the fact that they were the deserving winner. And if you look at their final stretch, it is pretty manageable at St. John's, which is struggling. We talked about, well, I talked on YouTube about Rick Pitino the other day, uh, seeing hold home Marquette at home at Villanova. A lot of those games are, are, are not easy, but those are winnable games for Creighton. I expect them to probably end up as the three seed in the big East tournament. And listen, I did pick Creighton to go to the final four in the preseason. Uh, but listen, I like this team. They're starting to get better. This was about as well as they could possibly play. Credit to them for knocking off the number one team in the country. UConn, by the way, returns to the court on Saturday against Villanova at home. That is a college game day game. You know UConn's playing well when ESPN doesn't even have the rights to their game. And college game day is still going to stores. UConn's going to be fine. Creighton's really good. Credit to the Creighton Blue Jays for winning that game. This is the post-game recap show Tuesday night. Do me a quick favor. Drop your comments in. I will get to them momentarily. Do want to go ahead and get to some other results in college hoops from throughout the day. Uh, and really, it was kind of an important day for the bubble in all of college hoops, okay? And, and I thought there was one result, in my opinion, that really I thought uh, was a very significant result from the bubble perspective. It came in the SEC. It came via Texas A&M losing to the Arkansas Razorbacks. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive into that one. Um, let me just say this, okay? So with Texas A&M, Texas A&M, remember, was a team that was picked to finish second in the SEC standings, only behind Tennessee in the preseason. This was a team that up until this point has been, I would argue, one of the most frustrating teams in college basketball. You can't say they're one of the most disappointing because they're still on track to make the NCAA tournament, but they they came into the night, one of Joe Lenardi's kind of final eight in, he calls it the next four in, which is basically like the first four teams that aren't playing in those play-in games. So I bring it up because AM desperately needed a win. Arkansas is reeling. They're three and nine in league play. You think if Texas A&M has a pulse, they would take care of business, especially, by the way, with the fact that Texas A&M was coming off of a two-game losing streak coming into this one. They lost to Vandy on the road last week. They got destroyed by Bama on Saturday afternoon in Tuscaloosa. Well, what happens? Texas A&M does not show up, and they actually lost to Arkansas in what can only be described as just uh, you know, I guess you would call it a stunner, but I think honestly, that's who Texas A&M has been all year. Final score in that one, 78 to 71. 
And as you'll see on the, the screen, the bottom line is a lot of different reasons why AM lost this game. Missing 14 free throws was certainly one of them. Now, in terms of AM, let me say this. And we are kind of diving into the bubble right now. We'll get to some other bubble games in a minute. But as I said, AM came into this game on the bubble. They lose this game. My guess is I don't do a ton of bracketology on this show. I'm far from a bracket expert. I leave it up to Joe Lenardi and all those guys. But I bring it up to very simply say that when I look at Texas A&M, they are one of the most weird, unpredictable teams in college basketball. Just think about A&M's resume, okay? So this Texas A&M team, early in the season, they went ahead and beat an Iowa State team, which is now in the top 10. They beat. Uh, Ohio State, which at a time played well, they obviously ended up firing their coach. SMU, which is playing well. Then in SEC play, Texas A&M beats Kentucky in overtime in a game where they went score for score with them. And then they destroyed Tennessee the other day. And so you look at A&M, you can see what they're capable of, but look at the losses as well. They've lost to Vandy. They got swept by Arkansas. They lost to LSU at home. And so, again, when you talk about the most surprising and disappointing teams in college basketball, Texas A&M, I would argue, is as disappointing, at least inconsistently disappointing as anybody. There have been teams like Arkansas, ironically enough, that just have not been good. But Texas A&M, they, they show you flashes, but it is just not consistent. And Aggies fans, I know you've been through a lot, but this has to be amongst the most frustrating things that you have been part of as an Aggie sports fan. Um, and, and, and so what's interesting about Texas A&M, I would think that they are probably falling off the bubble. And the thing is they still do have some tough games left on the schedule, including this weekend at Tennessee. They still have South Carolina, which I know is struggling. And then the Mississippi school. So crushing loss for A&M. I can't figure out what's going on. Now I know Julius Marble, one of their big guys, weird suspension early in the year. He hasn't played all season, but at this point you got to adjust. They have not answered. I just wonder veteran group, you know, Buzz Williams is kind of one of those, um, culture coaches that, you know, he's, he's tough on you, but he loves you, but he's this, but he's that. I wonder a lot of these guys are in their third, fourth year in the program. I wonder if the message is just worn thin, but what a weird season at Texas A&M from the Arkansas perspective, man, listen, just quick credit to them. I'm not going to oversell it. I'm not going to say it's the most incredible thing and they're going to go on a run. And I know it's been a disappointing year for Arkansas fans, but I'll also give that team credit for coming ready to play today. I saw, I think it was Jimmy Dykes say that this was as intense of a shoot around as he's been in all year. The team was clearly locked in. And I still say like Tremont Mark can take over games, 26 points today. I've been saying it since the Duke game. That's the guy you put the ball in his hands, let him go. I said it after the Kentucky game, put the ball in his hands, let it go. And so Arkansas gets the win. Obviously, Arkansas, they are struggling. They are probably headed for the Wednesday at the SEC tournament, the dreaded Wednesday. Good news is they could, in theory, go on a little run here. Next two games are against Missouri and Vandy at home, the two worst teams in the SEC. They also get LSU at home as well. And when I sit there and look at Arkansas, I sit there and say, listen, can you get to seven and, you know, seven and whatever, 11? At, you know, eight and 10 in the SEC. I think you probably can. Uh, it won't be easy. And then can you get out of that first day, you know, the, the Wednesday games? Maybe we'll see. But I don't think Arkansas, I, I still think if they get to, when they get to the SEC tournament, I think they can cause a little bit of havoc, but I'm not going to oversell it. Good thing for Arkansas. As I said, three very winnable games in their final five. 
Uh, let's get to some other bubble games because I do think it's that time of year. People want to talk bubble, this and that. Uh, first of all, interesting game back in the Big East. So we talked Creighton, UConn. Butler at Villanova. So Butler was in Lenardi's last four in. Villanova in the next four out. And listen, I've been very critical of Villanova. Credit to them. They get the 72-62 win in this game. Listen, Nova's one of the weirdest teams in college basketball. We just talked about Arkansas. Remember, Arkansas was in that battle for Atlantis, as was Villanova. Well, guess what? Villanova was the one that won that thing. They beat Memphis. They beat Carolina. Who else did they beat? Texas Tech, who's a good team. So they have the talent, but it has just been so inconsistent, so up and down. To their credit, they did win three of their or uh, three of their last four coming into this one, and this was absolutely a must win for Nova because their final five are insane. Okay, so their final five this weekend at UConn, which we just talked about, then Georgetown at home, then at Providence at Seton Hall and Creighton at home. So four of the final five are probably against NCAA tournament teams. Three on the road. Villanova absolutely had to get this win. Listen, I'm far from bracketologist, as I said. You got to beat Georgetown, and my guess is you probably have to go probably, what, three and two down the stretch to at least have a chance going into Madison Square Garden, but Villanova picks up the win there. Uh, credit to the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, who last I checked were in complete control against the NC State Wolfpack, and it is, or excuse me, against the Pitt Panthers. It is not officially final, but... It's just about final 89 to 58 with about two minutes to go in this game. Um, listen, nothing else to say. Wake Forest is kind of one of those weird teams. Uh, every year they're kind of on the bubble and they just haven't been able to break through yet um, under Steve Forbes. For people who don't know much about Steve Forbes, uh, he is a guy, his, his wife is actually going through some very serious health problems right now. So you feel for him. He was away from the program for a while, but this is now year four. They've been on the bubble the last two years, entered today as one of the first four out under Lenardi's watch. This was a game against a pit team that was playing really well. They had to win, so they get the victory there. And obviously, there are some other bubble games that are, 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 are in the process of going final. We'll keep you updated there. An interesting result in the Mountain West. I wouldn't quite call it a bubble game. Utah State was a seven seed, according to Lenardi, coming into the, the day today. They beat San Diego State, which was a four seed in Lenardi's most recent bracket. Utah State and San Diego State both trending as tournament teams. couple games still going on. TCU, Texas Tech, maybe we get to that one as a final. BYU up by seven against Baylor at home. We will get to that. I do want to go ahead and preview some games on Wednesday. Florida, Alabama, and LSU, Kentucky. Uh, producer Matt, before we get to the preview, anything on tonight's games that is worth at least addressing here? We got a lot of questions and comments in the uh, chat. Anything worth getting to here? Uh, here's the first one. Looks like AM we needs to win the SEC tourney or make the championship at 15 and 11 and more games to go from Paul. Listen, Paul, I'm not a bracketologist. I just know there's only so many bad teams you can lose to. Like, I think it was Jeff Borzello said they have like five quad three losses or something. So for people who this time of year, the quad system, quad one are the best wins and the best losses. The good teams basically don't lose out of quad one, maybe quad two. I think AM has five quad three losses. So they're just, they're not good enough right now. They're not winning the games that they have to. Uh, and Texas AM is struggling. 
Anything else from the comments section? James says, "What is was it Creighton's defense or was UConn just cold three from 16 from, from three? Listen, I, I think it was mostly, bluntly, I, listen, I just think it was Creighton's night, okay? First of all, Creighton's a really good three-point shooting team. Uh, they don't shoot 50% while attempting 28 threes per game. If they were, they would be the best three-point shooting team in all of college basketball. So, you know, from the UConn perspective, the three-point defense wasn't good enough. But then I would also add um, that I don't think the uh, UConn offense was good enough either, as they, as you just referenced, James. I think it's a great point. Three of 16 from beyond the three-point arc for UConn. They're a team that shoots 37% from three. Cam Spencer, by the way, is one of the best three-point shooters in all of college basketball. Uh, he finished this game. He's shooting 44% coming in 0 for two from three. So that is a credit to Creighton's defense, right? Because you have a guy that's, that's shooting averaging uh 44% on six attempts per game. And he had just two in this game and did not hit one. Any other questions, producer Matt Forrest, what do we got here? I really want to see the mountain West get six teams in from Chewy. I get to see some of their games on TV. It's not bad. Listen, fun fact about tours. Okay. I live on the West coast. Um, I know a lot of these coaching staffs. Well, I just think Mount West is really fun. It's a, uh, it's a mid-major conference, but I'll tell you this, like, like living on the West coast, I can tell you some of these mountain West schools are better supported than what was once the PAC 12 San Diego state's facilities are probably better than anyone in the PAC 12, except for Arizona and probably Oregon. Colorado state has great support. Listen, Nevada, me and Nevada fans are in a never ending uh, uh, feud on social media from the Steve Alford uh, transition from Eric Musselman. But they get great crowds in Reno. They love that team. Utah State was rocking tonight. So, no, I think that the Mountain West is awesome. And the other thing about the Mountain West, I think those teams are built to win in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you look at San Diego State's obviously proven capable. Colorado State with the right matchups. Isaiah Stevens, their best player, is, is going to be the best player on the court. Um, New Mexico has three or four guys that came from the high major level. I really like the Mountain West. I really do think they are built uh, to have success in the tournament. Any other questions before we start previewing and looking ahead to the weekend or the Wednesday uh, college hoops? If you want to drop more questions, I'll wrap at the end. Uh, but let's get to Wednesday really quick. Okay, so for people who are just joining us, you can go back and watch the replay. Podcast will also be available uh, shortly after the show goes final. Um, but let's preview some Wednesday games really quick. First one, we have ourselves a top 25 matchup in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Just X'd out my notes there, but that's okay. I'm going to go do all this right off the top of my head here. So let me say this about, about uh, I want to talk about the Alabama and the uh, Florida game. So Florida, for people who have not been paying attention, Florida is actually ranked this week. They go to Alabama. Let me start with a couple things really quick. First of all, and I said this on Monday's Aaron Torres pod, by the way, we don't have a point spread yet in this game, but Alabama, listen, I know I said it on last on, on Monday's show, but let me say this. I don't think we're giving Alabama enough credit for this season. Okay. And the bottom line is, listen, I know that Nate Oates, because of what happened last year, there's a lot of doubters, a lot of detractors, a lot of people that either don't like him or don't think he handled the situation well. And we've talked about all this a million times over the last couple of weeks, but like what Nate Oates has done this year, I think is nothing short of incredible. Because when you look at this Alabama team, I'm just going to be blunt. I don't think there is a single place 
where they are as good as last year. Now, last year, they were just awesome, okay? Last year, they obviously run through the SEC. They get a number one seed. They lose to San Diego State. But you look at last year versus this year. Look at last year. I would argue they had better guards last year. They did have Mark Sears, who's still there. But they had Quinterly. They had Jaden Bradley. They had uh, somebody else I'm blanking on as well. Uh, on top of that, they had rim protection with Charles Bediaco. They were a better three-point shooting team. They had an elite NBA talent in Brandon Miller who is tearing up the NBA right now. So tell me the place that Alabama is better this year than they were a year ago. I don't think there is one. Mark Sears as a player is better, but the pieces around him are not better. And I think Nate Oates is doing as good of a job as anybody in college basketball right now. Listen, Dan Hurley would probably be my national coach of the year. But if Alabama wins the SEC, I know there's a lot of love for Lamont Paris at South Carolina and a couple other guys, maybe Todd Golden, whatever. I think you probably have to give the SEC coach of the year to Nate Oates because I think they were picked to finish sixth, I think fifth or sixth in this league. So when I look at Alabama, they are exceeding expectations. They come into this game with a one-game uh, lead in the SEC standings against Tennessee. Tennessee, by the way, beat Missouri on Wednesday, on Tuesday night. Ugly game, but they get a win. But let's go ahead and talk about Florida for a second. So Florida, as I said, is in the top 25. And listen, let me say this. Torres gets a lot of stuff wrong. Torres gets a lot of stuff wrong uh, over the course of a week, month, year. That's why we do Aaron right, Aaron wrong every single Friday show. But at the same time, I was keen on these Florida Gators a little bit ahead of everybody else. Okay, so by the way, for people just joining the live stream, we are previewing the Wednesday night game, Florida, Alabama. We'll get to Kentucky LSU in a minute. But with Florida, they played a game probably about five weeks ago against Georgia. They had a huge lead, go to overtime, they blow the lead, they end up winning in overtime. And I said at the time, I said, that is a top 20 team in terms of talent in college basketball this year. If they don't make the NCAA tournament, that is on the coaching staff. Why do I bring it up? It is because the next game they went to Kentucky and got the win. They have since won three of four, including crushing Auburn at home beating Georgia for a second time, and they have now won seven of their last eight entering this game, which is, again, a top 25 matchup. Now, in terms of what intrigues me, a couple things. One, a lot of really good guards in this game, okay? What does John Rothstein say about Miami? More guards than Shawshank? I mean, I guess you could kind of say that about this game, too. What I like about Florida, they have four guards who I think are as good as basically anybody's guards in college basketball, except for maybe like Kentucky and UConn and whoever, not very many. But Walter Clayton, he was the St. John's transfer that Patino desperately wanted. Frankly, or, uh, the Iona transfer, I should say. Patino desperately wanted to bring with him to St. John's. He's at Florida. He's shooting 36% from three. Zion pulling a transfer from out where I am in California. 40% from three, 15 points, five assists per game. He has been, to me, one of the big surprises. And so four really good guards for Florida. And they're also an elite rebounding team, okay? They average 44 rebounds per game, which is just an insane number, uh, including Tyrese Samuel, who averages eight per game. So great guards, great rebounding. And then you, again, have a balanced team with Alabama. Now, it's hard to speculate too much on how, you know, what, what I think a final score will be in this game. We don't have a point spread yet. I obviously lean Alabama at home. First of all, Alabama has been unbelievable at home uh, over the course of this season. Alabama, as I just mentioned, they have been just crushing teams at home. They beat AM the other day. 
by what, like 25 points or something like that. Let me make sure I pull up the correct final score on that one. They beat Alabama or they beat AM by literally 25 points. They beat Mississippi State, which is trending as a tournament team, by 32 at home. They beat LSU by 19 at home. Uh, so this team is just destroying everybody at home. Now, I do think there are a couple things that are worth keeping an eye out for here. They are not as good in the paint as Florida. I think Florida has the size advantage, but Alabama also has the three-point shooting advantage as well. Alabama shoots the ball at about 30, 39% in this game. Florida is a good but not great three-point shooting defense. And so if I had to make a pick, I like Alabama at home, and I just think we're going to get a lot of points. I think it's something in the neighborhood of like Alabama probably in the you know, high 80s, low 90s, Florida in the low 80s. I'll say Alabama wins like 90, 82. But I think these are two of the top 25 teams in the country. This will feel, well, I mean, it won't feel like an SEC like semifinal because it'll be in Coleman Coliseum. I think it'll be a great atmosphere. I do think Alabama wins. Let's go ahead and get to the second big one in the SEC on Tuesday, on Wednesday night, excuse me, previewing the Wednesday slate, Kentucky at LSU. And listen, we know the story coming into this game. Kentucky, back-to-back wins. All the Calipari talking. By the way, Kentucky fans, you're absolutely right. I was one of the many people criticizing John Calipari a week ago when they were coming off their third straight home loss, Florida, uh, Tennessee, and Gonzaga. It's amazing what a difference a week can make, huh? As they beat Ole Miss last week. And then, in just what I can only describe as one of the most shocking results that I I, I can remember this college basketball season, you know, they went to Auburn and really dominated that game. Final score in that Auburn game on Saturday, 70 to 59. And what stands out to me about that game, and we talked a lot about it on Monday's pod, you know, people, people have talked about, well, if Kentucky's offense is as good as it's been and the defense just gets a little bit better, look out, they're going to be dangerous. The crazy thing about the Auburn game It wasn't that the offense was great and the defense was just slightly improved. It was the defense that carried them. They held Auburn a 31% shooting from the field, four for 22 from three. They were great on the boards in a, against a team that was one of the best rebounding teams in college basketball, 39 boards for Kentucky, 36 to Auburn. They out-rebounded them. Now I understand Jalen Williams, Auburn star got hurt late. It doesn't change the fact that Kentucky did what they had to do. And that was the first game where it was like, okay, we knew they could score, but could they do that defensively? It was unbelievable. I think the other thing, in my opinion, that really stood out about that game, the Kentucky win against Auburn. And again, we talked about it on Monday's Aaron Torres pot. The fact that John Calipari finally settled on a rotation. This has been a complaint constantly throughout the season. Guys coming in, guys coming out. Not all of it's his fault. There's been injuries. There's been confusion. There's been problems. Guys are weirdly out for a game, and then all of a sudden they're back. Guys have weird injuries that nobody really knows much about. So I get it's not all on Cal. But this game, even without Trey Mitchell, against Auburn, they basically played seven guys. They had the starting five of DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards, uh, Antonio Reeves, Adu Thiero, and Aganin Yenso. Then they had Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham off the bench. And Aaron Bradshaw played like three minutes and Big Z played like three minutes and that was it. Now, I know. I get it. I understand that, you know, listen, stuff changes and I understand you have a lot of people and a lot of kids' ears 
And I don't know if it's going to be okay if you just play Aaron Bradshaw two or three minutes a game going forward. But this is what you have to do to win. You finally settle on a rotation. And this is the first time you feel really good about this Kentucky team in a while. Now, that can all go away if you lose on Wednesday night to LSU. And I'll say this. Listen, LSU is not good, but they're not going to be a pushover either. Okay, so, so Matt McMahon's their coach. We've had him on the pod many times. He was at Murray State before this. Uh, and first of all, you know the LSU fans are going to be rocking. LSU fans always show out for Kentucky. But the thing about LSU this year, started 3-1 and one in league play. They are struggling as of right now. But if you look at them, they've lost three of four, but the three that they lost at Bama, at Tennessee, or excuse me, at Tennessee, at Tennessee, Bama at home, and at Florida. And they just beat South Carolina. So this LSU team is playing okay right now. And I'm telling you, Kentucky, if you do not show up ready to play, you can lose this game. I don't think they will, but you think about two straight wins. You're finally feeling good. There's finally some good vibes around the program. Everything's going good. Now you got to go on the road to a team that's kind of the bottom of the standings. You got Alabama coming to Lexington on Saturday. This just feels like the trap of all traps. And it's funny, I was listening to... My buddy Doug Gottlieb from Fox Sports Radio, who I'm actually filling in for on Fox Sports Radio on Wednesday. Um, but I just bring it up because Doug said this. He said, all those Kentucky guys, they've been the star of every place that they've ever been. And the big stages like in Auburn, like uh, who, whatever, at Tennessee later in the year, at Arkansas, those aren't the ones that you got to worry about with those kids. They'll be ready to play in those big games. The problems are, the games like at LSU, where it's going to be loud, but you don't really know much about the team. You don't really know much about the players. And are you really fired up? Is there a star on the, like, this is a game that if you're Kentucky, there's just no excuses. You have to be ready to go. You have to win this game. Now, do I think Kentucky is going to win this game? I do. The bottom line is, in my opinion, the way you have to beat Kentucky, you have to be able to be good enough defensively, which LSU is reasonably good 88th in the country in field goal percentage defense. I just don't know that they're consistent enough offensively to get the job done. One thing on LSU that is worth noting, by the way, they can get hot. They've put up 85, 86, 87 points in previous games. They also shoot 36% from three. So the one thing Kentucky fans, I don't want to hear you guys whining if they start five of seven from three and whatever. I don't want to hear it. Okay. They're a good three point shooting team. You got to come ready to play. But if I had to pick that game, I would say Kentucky beats LSU. I'll say 81 to 72, setting up what will be a very fun game on Saturday against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Before we get out of here, uh, any last questions from producer Matt here? By the way, we do have a final in Provo. Torres' best bet on Tuesday finally hit one. I had BYU minus four. They take care of business. They upset Baylor. 78-71 is the final score. What did I tell you? Baylor's or BYU is one of the best three-point shooting teams in college basketball. 14 three-pointers from the BYU Cougars. What I always tell you, Torres loves those Cougars. What else can I say? Uh, are we out of questions, producer Matt? Any questions before we get out of here? James says, I'm a Tar Heel fan. Have a bad feeling about Virginia on Saturday. UNC hasn't won at Virginia since 2012. James, that is certainly a stat. Um, Virginia's, Virginia's tough. Let me just say that. I'm not going to sit here and overanalyze a game on Saturday. 
But it's worth noting, Carolina has not been great on the road of late. They obviously lost at Syracuse the other day. Also kind of worth noting, Virginia in a weird funk. So they beat Wake Forest 49-47 on Saturday. Then they got destroyed on Monday night. Big Monday, they lost to Virginia Tech. I put out a tweet that went pseudo-viral. Virginia should never be in a standalone game, ever. Unless it's the literally the national championship game. I don't want to see them when there is no other game on. They are so unwatchable. They are so boring. But to Matt's or to James's point, in the right moment, uh, they are beatable. I'll tell you what, I do think it is probably time for me to get out of here. Miami at Duke tomorrow. By the way, a couple other big games that I should mention at least. Uh, Duke at Miami. Duke, listen, Duke was my preseason national championship pick, so I don't hate him. Uh, but quietly have won seven of eight. I was thinking about this. Feels like there's just no juice with Duke right now. Like they just keep winning games. I think part of it is the ACC isn't good. I think a lot of it will change next year when Cooper Flag shows up. Just feels like they're just winning games and like just nobody really talks about them. There's just, there, there's not a lot of interest, it seems like, in them. They play at Miami. That's kind of a weird, interesting trap game. A couple other uh, uh, notes for Wednesday that I forgot to mention. One, St. John's returns to the court. Uh, I did a YouTube standalone segment on the Rick Patino quotes. I'd be lying if I said I was really bothered by them that much, but they play at Georgetown 7 p.m. on Wednesday. That is a game they absolutely have to win. They are absolutely on the wrong side of the bubble. The other game that's kind of worth noting on Wednesday, Indiana hosts Nebraska, okay? So I was talking to a, a pretty good kind of source, if you want to call them that, on Wednesday, on Tuesday afternoon, excuse me. There's kind of like a weird increasing buzz that my guy Mike F. and Woodson might not be back in Indiana next year. Now, I don't know that I believe that because Indiana has not only made the tournament the last two years, they've also won a game when they've gotten there. Woodson's 66, though, and I think the thing to keep an eye on, Dusty May at Florida Atlantic, who, of course, was an Indiana student and Indiana manager under Bob Knight, uh, will probably be looking for other jobs after this season, after Florida Atlantic season ends. And so that's the one to keep an eye on there. If you know he wants to make a move, do you try to force Woodson out? That's an interesting one. Indiana fans are frustrated. They're 14 and 11 overall, six and eight in league play and got crushed by, uh, by uh, Penn State at home. Tell you what, I think that is it. And I think we are going to get out of here. I'll tell you what though, with a bunch of big games, maybe we'll come back and do this tomorrow. If you're not subscribed to your on YouTube, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. Uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Make sure to like the video, share the video, all that good stuff. Also, make sure you're subscribed on podcast, the Aaron Torres podcast. We drop every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This will be uh, Wednesday's show. If you're not subscribed on the podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Couple other notes. We potentially have a pretty big announcement coming later this week. I'm excited to share with you and some big stuff planned for March. So make sure you're paying attention. Time for me to get out of here for tonight. It was a fun one. Had a good time. Appreciate everybody's questions. We'll do this again on Wednesday. Shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. I saw him back on ESPN causing a ruckus on uh, whatever today was, Tuesday morning. I will be back 
on Wednesday. We'll react to Kentucky, LSU, Bama, Florida. Everybody have a good night.